Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. America has opened her arms to those who dreamed of a better life in search of opportunity, equality, and freedom. And so it is in this proud tradition that America once again welcomes her newest aliens. Uh, Coneheads. They're from another planet? That theory has been advanced. I'm ready to suck back a cold one. Welcome to the United States. And so the saga begins of a family unlike any you've ever known. Welcome to Rewatchability. It's the podcast where we rewatch old movies and see how they hold up in the modern eye. I'm Robert Larone. With me, as always, is Blaine Waters and J.M. McNabb. And we have a very special movie to talk about this week. Perhaps the most special movie, something that touched all of our hearts. Um, but before we mm-hmm. get to that, first of all, we are an Entertainment One podcast on the Entertainment One Podcast Network. And we should also thank our Patreons. Those are the people who give us valuable financial saving. Uh, they give us money, and it's <laughs> nice. And it helps us keep the podcast going. And so in return, we give you the podcast early. And also there are some bonus episodes. Yeah, we just put up one, didn't we? Did we? Well, we did the, the we talked about the new Bill and Ted movie. You and, oh, you and yeah, that's Robert, right. Yeah. yeah if yeah. you're listening to these podcasts out of order, that doesn't mean anything to you. Time has no meaning if you're just clicking on this one podcast to see this one movie. But Good point. Good point. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I do want to say, like, well, it's fun to do these bonus things and stuff. I, I do want to thank people for sticking with us because our schedule has been, like, very irregular because uh, we used to do oh, this yeah. in an office building on, like, a regular day. And now it's just, you mm-hmm. know, madness. I've, you know, I, I've still got the kids home and, uh, you know, we're all in our, our basements or, or Rob and I are in a basement. Where, what, what floor are you on, Blaine? I'm I'm on the main floor. I my yeah my my wife took the upstairs. So. You think you're better so. than us? <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. It's nice to have the space. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to say like to to thank people for sticking with us because I know it's sometimes frustrating not to have like a a regular schedule. But we're you know we're we're doing these when we can. Uh, yeah. And you can go to patreon.com slash rewatchability if you want to uh, donate there. And uh, yeah, join the party, the Patreon party. <laughs> that doesn't sound very exciting. <laughs> okay, so we have, I think, a very important movie to talk about this week. We've talked about a lot of great movies recently, some real classics. This one, I think, will eclipse them all with its <laughs> dome. It is Coneheads. <laughs> The 1993 movie, it's a Saturday Night Live film adapted from the Saturday Night Live sketches from the late 70s. And, of course, it stars Dan Aykroyd, Jane Curtin, and a whole bunch of other SNL alums. And this was a, a big movie for America, as I remember it. <laughs> I was a young boy, but Conehead fever swept the nation. It was, it was worse than COVID-19, I think. A lot of people got very sick. Um, <laughs> they ate too much toilet paper. It was awful. It was awful. Like, like, like COVID-19. 
Yeah, you got to stock up. got to stock up. Blaine, when was the first time that you saw Coneheads? Wait, wait. Why are we doing Coneheads? Why are we doing this movie? Is this like everyone's talking about Coneheads right now? Everyone's like, People are talking about it. Yeah, I've just seen people... I don't know if it's newly on Netflix or something. It's not here in Canada. But like people who I just noticed were tweeting about it and talking about it online. And it's a movie that... I thought about early on in the podcast would be a good one to revisit, oh, and nice. we never have because I, I I didn't actually want to sit down and rewatch Coneheads, but mm-hmm. I, I thought it, <laughs> you know if it's kind of a thing that's in the air and people are talking about it, maybe now would be a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a perfect time. And I always love talking about Dan Aykroyd. He's one of my favorite actors, so I can't I can't wait to talk about Coneheads. I've never seen it, Rob. I've never seen this movie. Wait, what? I don't. I've never heard of this movie. I I I know literally nothing about it. I can't <laughs> wait, remember wait, wait, anything wait. about it. I feel you've... like you're telling me you've never heard of the Beatles. Like this is the movie yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> but it's happening right now today. Wait, are you honestly never heard of Coneheads? <laughs> I like in some vague. I've been asking all my friends. I'm like, have you seen Coneheads? They're like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, Coneheads. I, f- I feel insane. I feel like I'm saying one word and they're hearing another. <laughs> like I'm saying, have you seen Coneheads? And they're like, yeah, I saw Jaws. Like it just feels like everyone's seen it, and I've just missed out yeah. on this whole part. I, also, like we'll talk about this, but you're from you're from Dan Aykroyd's hometown of Kingston. Like yeah. I'm surprised mm. there's not like a bronze statue of Beldar in front of the city hall there. <laughs> <laughs> we we ripped it down for many reasons. Um, <laughs> That's good. Yeah, let's get rid of those offensive, outdated monuments. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. So I've never seen this movie, but you guys seem to know this movie like it's a like it's an old friend, like it's this guy that we all used to know. And you're like, oh, you don't remember like Peter? And I'm like, who's Peter? I don't. I have no idea about this movie, but I'm so excited. To find out why anyone likes it, and I, I can't wait. I can't wait to get into it with you guys. So, Jim, when did you first see this movie, and how did it change your life? Oh wow! No, I. It's not like a movie. I don't think that people love, but it was so heavily marketed okay. when it came out, which is, I think, why we're surprised you haven't heard of it. Because, like, mm-hmm. Wayne's World was a hit movie. And then it felt like Dan Aykroyd was like, "Well, if any if any SNL skit should be a movie, it should." I was I was in the first season of SNL. We had a, a skit everyone loved. Everyone thought it should be a movie. Like I I want my movie. Right. And they were like, "All right, fine. Like you know, let the baby have his bottle, kind of thing." They developed uh, this after uh, the failure of the Jane, you ignorant slut movie. Right. <laughs> that that might have held up. Uh, or the the Bassomatic. Uh, <laughs> But it was not – it was weird because it had uh, all the trappings of, like, the Wayne's World marketing campaign in mm-hmm. a way. You know, it had, like, the soundtrack was heavily promoted. Mm-hmm. It, you know, there were commercials everywhere. This, I think, had more, like, tie-ins than Wayne's World. This had, like, a Subway commercial attached to yes, it. Yes, yes. Those posters that said consume mass quantities were everywhere. <laughs> um, my my most distinct memory of this movie coming out was the the theme park that's closest to Toronto is a place called Canada's Wonderland, mm-hmm. uh, which you guys know. And uh, at the time, it was uh, branded Paramount Canada's Wonderland. And had various tie-ins to Paramount movies, uh, like there was a Top Gun roller coaster. There that was, was a good a one. Tomb Raider roller coaster. Yeah, I mean they're all still there, yeah. but they, you know, they just they made them more generically titled. It's like the Asylum yeah, Films <laughs> theme park. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I remember watching on TV, like I think it was City TV or one of the channels had like a Coneheads Day was happening at promote the new Paramount movie at Paramount Canada's Wonderland. And it was like, if you dress up like a conehead, you get like half off admission or something. That's amazing. <laughs> Not I can just, worth it. I can just imagine all these like five-year-olds dressing up as coneheads and being like, I'm tall enough to ride the ride. Let me on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lost a lot of kids that, that day. <laughs> Put the cone on your head. We're not paying full price. <laughs> 
But I remember like having that thought, like it was so ingrained in me to like want to buy into like the hype about the big new movie that I, I think I even like said to my parents, like, we got to go. It's Coneheads Day in Paramount Canada's <laughs> Wonderland. And then like, as I was saying it, realizing like, wait, I don't even know what the fuck a conehead is. Like, <laughs> I have no attachment to that sketch. <laughs> you grew up a bit that day. <laughs> yeah, totally. And like I never saw it in the theaters. It was like it was like as soon as I actually like interrogated my own thoughts about like wanting to see this movie, I realized that it was oh my God. not a sketch that I I knew that it was not going to be like Wayne's World and I I didn't see it until it came out on home video. This is like how Noam Chomsky was born. It's just like <laughs> right. looking at the advertising of this movie like wait a minute. <laughs> no, it totally was. Like it it was that first moment where like they were trying trying so hard to make kids care about coneheads a thing their parents probably you know did coke and watched 25 <laughs> years before that but i i like i eventually i think most people realized that they didn't want that cuz the movie didn't do very well but blaine there were coneheads action figures no. <laughs> think about that no. <laughs> no. i love that it's probably just a gi joe with like extra like plastic on its head. That's yeah. All, no, no, the they were made by uh, playmates who did the Ninja Turtles. They're full. Uh, there is a action figure uh, for Michael McKean's character, <laughs> his, his N- <laughs> INS villain from this movie. <laughs> now with real deportation action. action. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's amazing. What about you, Rob? Did you see it in the theater, or what did you do? I don't think I saw it in the theater. I think it was a rental. I think it's one of those movies that I rented. You know, when my parents were divorced, we would spend a lot of my weekends at my dad's just, like, renting movies and watching them. And a lot of them were these sort of comedies. Like, they were very sort of dependable for kids. Because, like, Dan Aykroyd is funny to kids. You know, he was a Ghostbuster. I think there's a few other movies that uh, he's really memorable in so i <laughs> not that i can remember them now but yeah i'm sure I'm talking about crossroads <laughs> oh, <definitely>. crossroads <laughs> and i i remember enjoying it it was it was wacky it was out there it had a lot of people that i sort of recognized from saturday night live because yeah like the dan Aykroyd, jane curtain era of snl though they replayed that on saturday afternoons on the comedy network in canada that era wasn't really familiar to me. But when you got to people like David Spade and mm. Adam Sandler and Chris, Chris Farley, Farley yeah. those are people that I knew. And they were like my TV friends. So I was very happy to see them. And I just thought it was a funny movie. I assumed that it was a funny movie for a long time. And then, <laughs> I don't know, I guess like I had a moment where, yeah, like JM, I was like, wait a minute. I, I think this was sometime in my 20s. <laughs> I was like, maybe this wasn't the pinnacle of comedy that I thought it was, even though it should be. I mean, this is a movie, like Jam said, that was sort of followed on the heels of Wayne's World, which was a genuine phenomena. And also, like, you know, this was really the sort of, it seemed like the peak maybe of, like, Lorne Michaels' sort of power. Like, he mm. sort of had the ability to command Hollywood at this point, right? And, like, really, like, put together, like, these vehicles for their stars, whether we wanted to watch them or not. And there were, I mean, there were a lot of bad SNL comedies in the 80s that are forgettable, um, which I kind of want to watch again, um, just to see how bad they are. Like, it's Pat and right. uh, Stuart saves his family. But this was well, like... Those are, those are in the 90s as well, I uh, think. Okay, that's fair. Like, those were later. But yeah. this, you know, this seemed like it was, like, the big, the big, like, go for, like, the commercial aspect. Like, yeah, they've done it with Wayne's World. Now, if they can just latch on this, they can establish the SNL cinematic universe and they'll never be defeated. <laughs> but, yeah, I, you know, I, I sort of wondered, like, is this is is there any merit to this movie? Could there be something funny to it? Because it just seems sort of ridiculous to an adult person who's not on cocaine. So <laughs> I was interested in uh, watching it again. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, let's 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 get into it. Let's kind of rewatch it with everybody. What's the what's the goddamn plot? Of well, Conan's. <laughs> it starts with a strange egg-like spacecraft. And, you know, it's going in space. It's, you know, floating towards Earth. And the Army radar picks it up and sends a bunch of F-16s to engage. And they shoot at the ship before the inhabitants remember to put on their cloaking device. And they shoot it down, and it sort of crashes into the lake. 
Inside this ship are the Coneheads. They are Beldar, played by beloved Canadian screen icon Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> and uh, Jane Curtin, who invented the curtain. <laughs> she just went into business with Don Draper is the joke I was going to do, but it was too late, and then I said it, and it's not, it's not funny. Go on. <laughs> Go on. But anyway, they do what anybody does when they get into town. They check into a cheap motel, and... Of course, clerks at these motels, they're always like weird people, like Norman Bates. In this case, it's Michael Richards. Uh, you can probably <laughs> guess why he's working in a motel. <laughs> I had a comedy career. <laughs> that, that's one weird thing about this movie is there. this may be the greatest comedic cast of any movie ever made. It's like there, there is no role in this movie that isn't filled by someone who either was a famous comedian or would eventually become a famous comedian. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Crazy. It's this static. is the most star-studded cast ever. But th- these aliens, they don't quite understand how things work on Earth. They're still getting used to things. Like, they mess up the TV in the hotel room. Beldar eats a bunch of toilet paper like it's a fruit roll-up. Mm-hmm. It's very strange. That was actually, that, I, you know, I'll, I'll give it to them. That was well-filmed. I was like, that's, they, it looked really good on, on the screen. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I liked it. I found that the most disturbing part of this movie. Not not that scene specifically, but like the handful of like body horror jokes. Oh right. God, like at the dentist movie. and uh yeah. 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 Cuz yeah. that like that certainly wasn't like a part of the original skit, but this movie kind of has this idea like oh they're aliens and they're weird, so let's use special effects to yeah, make them have these giant mouths with like yeah. you know multiple rows of fang teeth. Sure. Mm-hmm. We're we're a comedy, so let's go David Cronenberg on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. He was the original director. They wanted him. <laughs> they settled for Steve Barron, but the two aliens they're stuck on Earth and they have to sort of start their their lives there and you know it's very much like the classic immigrant experience like he he gets a job working for sinbad like a lot of immigrants he <laughs> he starts working at sinbad's electronics repair shop and everything's sort of you know starting out pretty well except you know he doesn't have a social insurance number and that's sort of a big deal because you need one of those to uh to you know do the whole payroll thing but he's a really good worker and he helps Sinbad get ahead so you know he sort of lets it slide and they get a sort of fake ID and fake like social insurance number and all the fake documents from Adam Sandler sort of Who- I think Giving a preview of his like gritty, you know, uncut gems performance. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He has a leather jacket on. That's so. I I loved oh, his performance yeah. in this. I thought he was so funny. All right, here's the deal. Your name is Donald R. D. Chico. Got that? Donald R. D. Chico. Yeah, that's you. D. E. Capital C. I. C. C. O. You were born August 11th, 1951, in Brockton, Massachusetts. Brockton, Massachusetts. Oh, it's a lovely town there. And your name is what? Donald R. D. Chico. That's right, you are. It's nice to see you. Your wife's name is Mary Margaret Rowney, born June 26, 1955, in Narragansett, Rhode Island. But you're from where? Brockton, Massachusetts. Hey, my mother's from there. That's my new headcanon for this movie, is that that character who sells him the fake ID is like Howard, what's-his-face from Uncut (laughs) Gems, as a young man. Yeah, absolutely. Fake IDs, then you get into the jewelry game, and then uh, it's all downhill from there. (laughs) Oh, God. But the problem is is that their fake IDs, uh, Adam Sandler's been recycling the social insurance number a few times, and this alerts... INS and the two sniveling weasels that work there, played by Michael McKean and David Spade, who are both like the go tos for like sniveling corporate assholes in like the 80s and 90s movies <laughs> in particular. Definitely. And, I, I feel like David Spade is just giving like a preview of his performance in every movie from here on out. It's great. Yeah. And this is INS, which isn't like a thing anymore. It got sort of rolled into Homeland Security. And I mean, there's no way to talk about this without like referencing everything fucked up that's happening. But like, this just feels like they work for ICE, right? Like, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like this movie 
I, I I did see like there was a Vulture article from 2011, mm-hmm. kind of like reappraising it as a movie that has like more relevance in terms of like the militarization of like U.S. immigration, homeland security, and also just like the way the movie actually does ha- have some like nuanced, uh, interesting takes on, on like you know showing like a story from the perspective of like essentially an immigrant family, mm-hmm. and I feel like yeah now that story like having them be the villains having them be so comedically evil it almost doesn't work now because they they've surpassed the evil of the bad guys and coneheads you know what i mean like there's we when we first meet michael mckean he's hatching this evil scheme to like build an electrified border wall yeah and like that's and i just hope trump hasn't seen coneheads you know if he watches (laughs) this movie He not only wanted an electric fence at one point, didn't he also want he wanted like a moat with alligators in it? Like yeah. <laughs> like that that should be in Coneheads and and something else should be in reality. Like why are we surpassing Coneheads for goofiness? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's a real cognitive disconnect watching this movie where like, you know, uh, Michael McKean's a great actor. I think he's a very sort of lovable sort of guy, and he was great in Better Call Saul. So he's, like, really fucking good. And David Spade, you know, whatever. But these are, like, you know... <laughs> <laughs> Resounding support for David Spade from <laughs> But they're playing these, like, sort of as, like, you know, arch-cartoony sort of, like, 80s villains. And, like... It's so crazy to try to parse this stuff because, like, every week, like, we have to pick a new movie. And sometimes it's like, oh, well, we don't want to pick that movie because the director turned out to be a monster. Let's pick out something safe like Coneheads. And then, like, the week that we talk about Coneheads, we find out the agency that, you know, is sort of like the bad guys in Coneheads are doing, like, fucking hysterectomies on people. Like, how do you... it's fucking insane to watch. It's insane. Yeah, I, I think the movie like kind of holds up because they don't really ever make them the good guys. There's no point no. where the movie kind of pulls back and are like, these guys are just trying to do their jobs. Like they are monsters through and through. At the end, David Spade gets left on a planet in outer space. Like, yeah. He doesn't even get to come home in the end. Like, so I feel like the movie actually, yeah, like the movie is actually like make actually makes some good points i thought like in a way that a lot of other movies weren't addressing these issues at the time from what i remember certainly not in like a mainstream comedy like this yeah yeah coneheads has like more of a more of a moral compass than a government does a whole country does yeah it's just like unfortunate that like coneheads has been asked to like you know uphold the moral heft of 2020 you know like (laughs) it's just like yeah, well, it wasn't heavy, meant to do that. Heavy lies the head, Rob. Heavy lies the head. <laughs> that wears the cone. So, but so they're they're going on with their lives. They do get busted up by INS at one point, but they manage to escape and they start a new life in New York City. He's driving a taxi again, like a lot of immigrants, and you know he's doing a good job there. You know he's making friends in the community, but they want to move on up. They want to start their own thing. They want to you know, work for themselves. So they sort of move again, and he becomes a driving instructor, just as the INS is coming to bust them. But then, luckily for the Coneheads, Michael McKean's character gets a surprise promotion, and so he no longer cares about that case. I thought that was really funny, because it also seems like that's how the world works. Yeah, that seems like the most realistic part of this whole movie. It's great. He's like, "I I don't care anymore. I got more money. Let's go. Yeah. But, so... Many cone years pass. Oh, I forgot to mention that Primat, she's expecting a, a cone because they coned. And then, you know what happens when two cones who cone each other, they make a little cone. A it's conette. Like, it's horrible geog- uh, geography, geometry. Horrible English, too. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why. Anyway, a bunch of time passes. There's a big montage. Lots of stuff happens. The, the little girl grows up until she's... Uh, you know, a teenager, and before we know it, they are living a very typical sort of American life. He he goes to work, 
she stays home and the daughter is getting into trouble at school and starting to get interested in boys. And the boy in particular that she takes a shine to is a handsome devil named Ronnie, played by Chris Farley. So if you want to take a seat over there, call you when your car is finished. I will comply. What choice do I have? It is as if you have seized me at the base of my snarglies. Hey, Ronnie. What? I just have one question. How can it take so long to do a simple alignment on an American sedan with standard rack and pinion steering and fearsome struts when your garage is equipped with a proper Borg Warner digital hydraulic radiometer? Maybe because I was out back finishing a beer. <laughs> okay. I'm so happy to see him in this movie. I, I mean, I think everyone misses him. And Adam Sandler's tribute in his latest stand-up special was really, I don't know, made me want to go back and watch so many more Chris Farley movies. So I'm glad he's in this movie because it was a special treat to get to watch him in it. Uh, it's also, yeah, it's nice that he's like the love interest for once and not yeah. just like a complete buffoon. Yeah, yeah. well, I, wait, hold on. <laughs> wow. Well, a little bit of a Because it, it goes south he's real a, fast for him. <laughs> Well, okay, we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I do, th- I do also want to quickly mention that, like this sort of, uh, you know, second act of the movie is kind of teeing up a lot of scenarios that are more in keeping with what our I remember the sketch being, which is just like you know, like a typical, you know, suburban family setup where everyone's hanging out, but then like the cone heads are weird and no one notices is basically what the sketch was from from what I can remember. Yeah. Right? I want to say, I think Chris Farley has one of the best lines in this movie where he's taking Connie on a date to Subway. And, of course, the Coneheads, you know, they just, like, devour mass quantities very quickly. And Chris Farley says, wow, my mom's the only woman I've seen take a sandwich like that. (laughs) Such a weird line. So good. Yeah. But he's so so positive and so... uh... Like for for almost every line he delivers, he's so like I don't know, just it feels optimistic. Yeah, he has like a real G shock sort of quality to him. Yeah, it's nice. I I do want to mention while we're talking about Subway though, there was a commercial that they did where like like the subway manager like brings a sub to a conehead who who then eats it like she does in the scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they had a mass quantities promotion really getting into that conehead's lingo. You know, they tried to make mass quantities a thing. Stop trying to make mass quantities happen. I say it all the time. I don't know about you guys. Really? <laughs> Maintain <No>. low tones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but okay. But I mean, the part that Blaine was alluding to was that, like many young couples do, they start to get a little bit amorous. And Chris Farley, he wants to go further and he wants to kiss at first. And she is a little bit nervous because she's never kissed before. But they finally do that, and um, you know Chris Farley really likes that. But then he goes and he does something which is you know bad. He goes straight for the cone, and you know she's not ready for that. And you know mm-hmm. she runs away and she tells her parents. And Dan Aykroyd goes out there and and threatens him and like rips off the roof of the car and you know threatens to like eat him or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's it's just I don't know. It's a '90s movie, so what? What are you gonna? What are you gonna do? These scenes happen in '90s movie, but it's just like the trajectory of that whole relationship. Maybe it's maybe he learned, maybe he grew from that. I don't know. It was just kind of sad to see Chris Farley do it. That's all. Ah, well, it wasn't really Chris Farley. It was just the character. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm gonna go ahead and say there aren't a ton of super well drawn characters in Coneheads. Whoa, that's uh, that's a hot take. It's not. And, you know, my big problem with kind of the there's not a lot of plot for one thing. There's Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of these meandering, you know, scenes in which we see kind of, you know, moments from the day to day life of the Coneheads. Which is fine, but then we've also got to kind of propel the narrative forward. We've got, you know, this idea that the INS is after them and and Michael McKean. Also, Michael McKean knows that they're aliens, right? Or suspects that they're aliens, which kind of 
in a way, every time we cut back to that, it works against the central joke of the Coneheads, right? Which is that nobody notices that they're aliens. That's what, that's what's funny about that mm-hmm. skit mm-hmm. is that they're clearly aliens and they're saying ridiculous things even threatening things about humans and everyone just laughs it off and, you know, thinks they're from France or whatever. But if we have a, another, you know, human being in the same reality, like pointing out that they're clearly aliens and, and, you know, chasing them, I don't know, for me, it kind of like takes the air out of the, the scenes where nobody knows they're aliens. Cause it, it like punctures that reality in a way as, as weird as that is to say about Coneheads, it kind of like, <laughs> no, no, like I, just, I can totally see yeah. that because I mean, assuming that they're illegal aliens and he's tracking them down to get them out, you know, of the country or whatever, thinking they're from a different country and then everything they're saying, him being like the expert on that country and relating it to it would have been a much better way of yeah. going forward because at least he's stupid you know in this the bad guy is smart and it, he's in on the joke i totally understand I, I totally exactly yeah, I yeah. agree with you jm yeah 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 well he eventually starts reinvestigating the coneheads after this convenient lapse when <laughs> <laughs> the senate sort of brings up this one case that he spent way too much money on and so he finally has to go back and close this case that has uh that has haunted him and so once again they sort of go after the coneheads and they sort of just drop by under the guise of uh being jehovah's witnesses always works mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But also that scene where the senator, whoever it is, asks him to go clear up this case is a great example of, of why this movie is bad, because it's Kevin Nealon, right. who's hilarious and doesn't – I don't remember him getting like a single joke or even like a yeah. vaguely humorous line. Like he just comes in and plays a straight character. It's crazy to me that they just like continuously have these funny, funny people doing nothing funny at all. Like, not even trying to be funny. Yeah. 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 I mean, there are a lot of cameos in this movie. Like, Drew Carey is in there. I don't know if he says anything funny. I read that Conan O'Brien filmed something that wasn't put out. It was Ellen DeGeneres is, is the swim coach. Oh, yeah. And, and she's just that's... awful to, to the Conan yeah, girl. Just He's a... terrible to her. It's a real toxic swim team. Yeah. Yeah. The whole environment. <laughs> Shipped on surprising her. I was scared her to death. It was awful. You have to dance up to the diving board. <laughs> Jason Alexander plays their neighbor in an awful wig as well. He's funny. He's funny. Yeah, yeah he's good. I mean, he has like a little bit yeah. more substance to his he- character. Well, yeah. he gets to do some stuff. Yeah, totally. But uh, I mean, just, yeah, like everyone uh, from SNL pops in and just gets nothing. Like Phil Hartman oh, right. is the on oh. the home world. And why? Here's a question I had watching this movie. I, they probably said, and I missed it. Why am why, I watching? Why do, they, why do they go to Earth in the first place? They're supposed to. What are, what are they doing there exactly? Maintain low tones. I don't know. I think they're trying to take over worlds maybe but then or like scouting to take over a world yeah but then but why are they scouting there for like 20 years because their ship got busted i don't know it's very yeah i think it needs to i mean the whole plot (laughs) is a little bit loosey-goosey despite the uh you know the very relevant ins thing i mean it really is just (laughs) a like a, a a structure on which to put all these you know fish out of water scenes or these like comedic bits or these bits that are like mostly just funny because we're seeing like what humans do through the lens of aliens. Like this movie is essentially a two-hour version of you know that comic strip on the internet that's popular now, where the aliens like explain what they're doing. Like I'm having breakfast, I'm eating proteins or whatever. That's what this movie is. You guys yeah. know that? Yeah. I I don't I don't know it, but I okay. agree with you. Right. <laughs> I think I think it's like. You don't know Coneheads. You don't know this comic strip. No, but this is the difference between like Wayne's World and and this movie is that this movie was like good for a sketch. It was like a one joke the entire sketch, and then Wayne's World had these characters that you could flesh out, and and it didn't work with the Coneheads because they weren't like like we. Uh, it's just. Well, I mean, this took all the wrong lessons from Wayne's World. Like, yeah. I mean. 
part of the reason like Wayne's young people liked Wayne's world partly because like the characters were young and they had, you know, cultural touchstones that people could latch onto. This was like, Oh, the kids love SNL skits turned into movies. Great. We have one from 1976. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, I I mean, it just seemed like they, they had this kind of superficial idea of what would work as a Saturday night live movie. I mean, did you guys read that thing? Who is it who wrote? It was like Chris Kattan or someone said in their book that Lauren Michaels' whole thing was whenever he made a movie, it had to have a poster where the characters are in front of like a blue cloudy sky <laughs> with like puffy white clouds. Right. And it's true. Right. That's that like sense. every movie. Like they they, wow. they literally they had a hit with Wayne's World and they're like, just get the Coneheads. We'll have a hit soundtrack. We'll put the a poster with them puffy with clouds. fluffy white clouds wow. like Wayne and Garth and it'll be a hit. And it was just, it's like the similarity. (laughs) Like, I I don't know any, I mean, I think there are things about this movie that are not inconsequential and not without things you can emotionally connect to. Like, but it, but it's weird. Like they're more fleeting and abstract and appeal more to an older audience. Like the kind of like a storyline in a way is Jane Curtin worrying that, uh, Beldar is cheating on her. Oh, yeah. And like she just like buys a bunch of like cosmos and then, you know, <laughs> tries to repair their, uh, sex life. Like that, that's like a, the kind of the main story of the movie in a way. Yeah. yeah. That's like barely factors into anything. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's so very, very loose. The weird thing about this movie, you know, and we'll sort of continue the plot, is that, like, at the point where the INS sort of, like, comes to arrest them the third time, and Chris Farley sort of distracts them, and it looks like they're really caught this time. But then the spaceship comes and brings them up, and there's still another half an hour left of this movie. <laughs> yeah, well, he has to fight, like, a claymation Oh, man. That's the other thing. Whoever made this movie decided, I know what America wants. They want Dan Aykroyd in a diaper fighting (laughs) a literal monster. (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah. It's a real inward journey. Um, And and people watching this will want to go eat at Subway after. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear him sing the entire time as well. It's it's just – it's crazy the shit that – this oh is the goodness. second worst marketing Subway uh, has ever uh, <laughs> <done>. <laughs> Not as bad yeah, as the first. Good point. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hitching their wagon to the Coneheads was, was not their uh, most ill-advised decision. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Well, so the Coneheads get brought back to Remulac, which is their home planet, and the High Master, played by comedian Dave Thomas, he's going to let them go free, except that he sees that Dan Aykroyd's character has had his teeth capped, which is treason to the Coneheads. And so he has to, um, he has to Narfall the Garthok. That's what it is. Narfall the Garthok. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I kind of, I was a little bit impressed, I have to say, at at the Garthok. I thought like, this felt like, you know, it brought me back to, like, Return of the Jedi to the, um, what's the thing down there? The Sarlacc? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Rancor. The Rancor, yeah, that's the, Rancor. the one. Yeah, it was, like, very Rancor-ish. You know, it was like, okay, I see where they're sort of going with this. And then eventually he beats it by turning his, like, weapons into a golf club, and then he drives a stone into the monster's gullet, and he beats the thing. And then he's allowed to uh, sort of go back to Earth. His wish is to lead the fleet that will conquer the planet. And so... They go back there, he's leading the fleet, they're going to attack Earth, but then he pretends to be struck by some sort of complicated Earth weapon, and he tells the rest of the fleet to uh, to turn back before they're destroyed, and they continue their lives on Earth as coneheads. And no one's the wiser. <laughs> no one, no one. Chris? And that's coneheads. From from yeah. from from tip to bottom, <laughs> and we have more for you. Uh, we have some behind the scenes and some trivia after this break. 
Welcome back to Rewatchability. We are talking about Coneheads, and I have some behind-the-scenes and some trivia for you guys. So I hope that you've been using your noggins. hope you've been sharpening your points. I, I, I mean, okay, are they really cones, or are they more like, it's sort of egg-shaped? He sort of just looks like Egghead from the Batman TV series, right? Is this like a Vincent Price homage? What's happening here? <laughs> hey, Egghead just had he he just wore a bald cap. It wasn't he didn't have any kind of like uh, prosthesis. Oh no, from what I remember, oh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Hmm. That I mean, that show wasn't big into like you know makeup effects. They didn't even shave Caesar Romero's mustache. <laughs> good point. Good point. <laughs> okay, so I have some tough trivia questions for you guys. I hope that you don't disappoint me, or you'll have to nerfle the Grothuk or whatever it was. <laughs> so two of the writers of this film went on to create another enterprise featuring fish out of water aliens yes can you name i know this one well then don't answer it blaine no don't put it all on me do you know <laughs> no, the no, answer it's, it's for both of us to answer well and wait we, why i i'm disqualified for knowing yeah. the answer that <laughs> yeah, doesn't make no, sense no, no. i assume trivia. that you you get the point you get the point i assume you're oh, okay. right yeah, but we get the point if we're no, right. No, so, Blaine, you so don't like, get anything. I, I'm going to let JM answer for me because, of course, everyone knows this. Okay, well, Blaine doesn't have the grab lines. So, <laughs> JM, what's the answer? <laughs> it's uh, I, I didn't know this until I was watching the movie today and saw their names in the credits. It's uh, And I think they wrote Wayne's World, too, right? It's the Turners yeah, who did. created Third Rock from the Sun. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. And wow. that's when I realized that Third Rock from the Sun is is just a better version of Coneheads. Yeah. And Coneheads was a worse version of Mork and Mindy or Perfect Strangers or like a whole bunch of other TV Wait, Wait, Balky was not an alien. <laughs> wasn't a, no, Alf. Well. Okay, you can go with Elf. But Perfect Strangers, you know, fish out of water. Everyone reacting like, that's weird. Yeah. But Third Rock from the Sun, yeah, I I did not realize that they wrote Coneheads as well. Mm-hmm. And then they also cast Jane Curtin. Yes. Mm. And I was thinking about, I, I didn't know, of course, it's such a similar premise. I never really even like put the two together because I buried Coneheads deep in my subconscious. <laughs> but uh, Third Rock from the Sun, I think a real key difference, a thing that makes Third Rock from the Sun work so much better than Coneheads is that you never see that I can recall any real like visual effects or anything right. that makes you think makes you like actually see that they're aliens. There's no flying saucers. There's no crazy makeup where their mm-hmm. mouths are elongated. Like it's just people. Like I mean, there there there's an ending to Third Rock from the Sun where you just find out they're crazy or something. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, but I, I it feels so like. I don't know. There's something about like the joke works better when it's not like the spectacle. There's something about comedy and big budget special effects that don't always go hand in hand. I guess like Ghostbusters maybe pulls it off and some others, but every time, like, like when the Coneheads movie goes to the big Conehead world and we have the monster, like it, it feels like it's so divorced from the comedic interactions in the suburbs of Earth, which are so at the heart of what the humor of the movie should be, and 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 Third Rock's all that, like it's it's great. I wonder yeah. if it's because you know, in order to watch something that's sci-fi or or any any movie, you have to kind of suspend your disbelief. You know, these are actors, these are uh, you know aliens or whatever. Uh, but part of suspending your disbelief is buying in, and I think when you don't have those big effects that kind of ruin the joke you're buying into the joke more because mm-hmm. you have to because you have to suspend your disbelief more so you're more invested i feel maybe that's it i don't know but that's, well that's it's so also true. i don't know like the thing that's funny the thing it's it's not innately funny that they're aliens on earth what makes it funny is the performance and that they're acting so strangely mm-hmm. so when you have like a spaceship or you know some visual effect that that's you know taking it it's representing the joke in a way that's not as funny as just like you know Dan Aykroyd doing his silly voice or you know the the uh, what's it called now Conan third rock from the JM <laughs> yeah. this is, this the, is the, the movie third, third rock from the sun like the idea that it's like they look like a typical family but they're behaving in in 
you know, strange ways that you wouldn't like, that's the joke mm-hmm. is like, we all know it's just yeah. actors, but it's funny to see them behaving in irrational ways in familiar situations. It's not funny to represent that with familiar, uh, conventions, at least in my opinion, for, for me, that's where like the Coneheads movie, I think became not funny. And I think the movie was also trying to have it be a bit of like, like in the last third of the movie being like, are we going to do like an action adventure right. fantasy? Like they're selling Conehead's action figures. Like I'm sure that was on their mind to a certain extent. Like, are we, are, you know, this is the same year as Jurassic Park. Like, are we going to, misguided? my God, are we going to go after that audience a little bit? I, yeah. I don't know. I can't remember what the trailer was. I don't know how much they played that up, but I, I think like that, that stuff all detracts from the central joke of Coneheads. Right. Right. Which we talked about, but I, 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 I don't know. I've talked for too long. You guys I, talk about it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just think it's great that they learned from Coneheads to make Third Rock from the Sun because I remember that being a very, very funny show when I was a kid. I loved watching that show. So if Coneheads had to exist for Third Rock, I'm yeah. fine with it. Yeah, it definitely you know, seems like a blueprint or a prototype for something yeah. that uh, works a lot better. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, do you have more trivia there, Rob? No, I just brought one today. No, That's I have good. more questions. All you right. thought you were going to get off easy. I thought I thought I didn't have to snargle the Garfunkel. <laughs> okay. Garfunkel. So- Simon the Garfunkel. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Paul Simon song in this. Okay, so which 1998 animated adventure reteamed Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin? Only five years after this. They were teen. Oh wow! Up. Yeah, the iconic duo. Animated adventure was it a, a film or was it a TV show? Oh, it was a film, a film with Dan hmm. Aykroyd. Five years later, so nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety eight. I can't do math. Um, Bugs Life. No, close. Oh, ants. <laughs> yes. Oh, damn! I was so close. Yeah, you were uh, very close. Yeah, you just picked the wrong bug bitch. movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah they, wow. they're in there. They play some. They play some. Uh, I think they're wasps, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Mm. Yeah, I thought that was you know that was interesting. I mean, they always do that yeah. with animated movies. They throw in a whole bunch of uh, voices, and sometimes they like you know yeah. pair them up like in a reference to a movie. Like I always like when they like you know in like a kids movie for some reason they'll have like Cheech Marin and. Tommy Chong, and they'll put them together <laughs> right. as if kids, right. you know, are big Cheech and Chong fans. <laughs> and I believe that movie starred every child's favorite actor, Woody Allen. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, somebody asked us to do that movie on the podcast, and uh, I think that's probably the big reason why we're, we'll never do it. <laughs> I can't remember. Accurate. It's about. It's about like an ant dating a larvae, right? <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> He's a really neurotic ant, though. His own <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, gross. Um, okay. So, all right. So, final question. This one's a little bit tougher, maybe, if you can't do process of elimination. So, the director of this movie, Steve Barron, not to be confused with Steve Bannon, he got his start... <laughs> or Baron Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or the Red Baron. But he got, the, uh, he got to start making some of the most classic music videos of the 1980s. When music video was really like an emerging American art form, this guy was really at the center of them. So I want you guys to guess or eliminate which one of these he, he did not direct... Money for Nothing by Dire Straits, Take On Me by AHA, or Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cyndi Lauper. I think this is a trick question. I think he did all of them. Whoa, oh. Blaine. Do you agree, JM? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I will say I know he did the Ninja Turtles movie. Yes, he love. did do oh, the Ninja Turtles that's movie. that's amazing. Yeah. Did he do Ninja Rap, though? No. Or, that I mean, was Ninja Turtles 2. Damn it. All right. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Lane. Yeah, I think he did all of them, too. You're wrong, guys. I thought about doing one of those trick question sort of things because he did so you many. accepted us. I accepted you, you. He did so many really good videos like Money for Nothing. Dire Straits was one that he did. You know, classic video, computer animation, big deal. Take on me. Aha. Uh-huh. Another great video. 
great style. And I thought, like, you know, putting those two with, like, a really unique visual style would uh, would help set it apart from the Cindy Lauper song, which he did not do and just features Captain Lou Albano. But he did lots of great v- videos like Electric Avenue by Eddie Grant. We're going to rock down. To- it's a great song. And uh, he did all the Brian Adams music videos from the 80s. <laughs> you know, mm. classic. Mm. Sweet. Yeah, lots of great stuff. He didn't do any of the music videos for the songs associated with this movie, though, because I guess he was too big. And there was actually, like, as Jam mentioned, there was quite the soundtrack for this film. Like, uh, I, you know, I was looking at it, and like some of them were like, okay, like, you know, there was a bunch of conventions in the eighties and nineties. Like, there was one track called uh, "Conehead Love," which is. <laughs> You know, Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin, and they're doing, it's like a sort of like pop song, and they film, there's like alien, they, it's, it's awful. Oh, wow. It's okay. l- one of the worst things I've ever heard. <laughs> he's he's also did you remember he did that rap with tom hanks for the dragnet soundtrack whoa which is amazing. also not a great song oh the 80s made everything bad it's great i, I want to see all of these things it's yeah amazing there's also a really bad cover of magic carpet ride which you can hear in the movie by slash and another guy slash from guns and roses it's like why this sucks wait who's the other guy it's michael monroe from the band hanoi rocks but uh i didn't think anybody would know who they are i don't know what any of those words are (laughs) who's the other slash that you had to say he was from (laughs) uh (laughs) good point slash the the evil ninja turtle yeah (laughs) Yeah, there you go nice nice there was also i found this interesting i don't know there is a cover of the classic public enemy track fight the power done by jesus christ none other than no canadian beloved canadian artist the bare naked ladies no what? no 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 yes no. yes 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 the bare naked ladies had to really rise up so they were so they weren't Oh, and God. this is the song which you know is thre- so threaded rough. through "Do the Right Thing," that very seminal Spike Lee movie, and was commissioned for "Do the Right Thing." And this movie, it commissioned the bare naked ladies to do the wrong oh thing. Oh my God, <laughs> do the very wrong thing. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, I mean, you know, I can't speak for the version of the song. I mean, it sounds okay, but uh, I don't know, maybe a questionable choice there. <laughs> You know what? I think white privilege is just uh, singing songs about what you'll do with a million dollars. Yeah. 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 You know, I was listening to that song the other day. It came on the radio, and like the first line of it is, "If I had a million dollars, I'd buy you a house." That would be the end of the song. Now, like, there's, <laughs> you're, they're not getting a house in Toronto oh, for less than a million dollars. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like that, yeah. they would never have the career that they had. You're still going to be eating craft dinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Well, I mean, wasn't one of them arrested for coke or something? Yeah. Yeah, one of them did have, like, a an incident. Yeah, he was arrested, and he had a very f- public falling out, and uh, he quit the band. He went solo, so he's no longer a bare naked lady. So, I... so maybe that's the power he wanted to fight. <laughs> the other bare naked ladies? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But there's actually a sort of longer musical legacy to the Coneheads because while I was researching this, I also found that there is a Frank Zappa song. Frank what? Zappa, the fucking freakadelic guy who, you know, melded musicianship and fucking weirdness. He wrote a song called Conehead, and it is actually about 
the Coneheads. It, it mentions Remulac. It talks about Connie Conehead in a way that seems kind of misogynist. It's a classic Frank Zappa track. <laughs> Wait, was it commissioned for the movie? No, this was written... Or was he just like a fan of the... This is like in the 70s? Yeah, it was in the 70s, and he actually did appear in one of the original 70s Conehead skits, where the Coneheads are doing their thing, and then Connie has a date, and who comes to the door to pick her up but Frank Zappa, and then the Coneheads eat his records. But, you know, I mean... I understand, like, the musical guest being in a skit on Saturday Night Live. What, like, kind of boggles my mind is Frank Zappa deciding to, like, write a fucking Frank Zappa song about the Coneheads. Yeah. That, like... It's like... Like, it's like if Tom Waits wrote a song about David S. Pumpkins. (laughs) Oh, David S. Pumpkins down on Skid Row. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess more power to Frank Zappa. It was really his life was changed by the Coneheads, but we were joked about it. But you know, he was really touched. Well, I mean, you know, SNL in the seventies, I think, you know, definitely had more of like a countercultural sort of vibe. You know, it seemed like it was doing like important sort of things. You know, as opposed to like now, where it you know made Trump the host and you know maybe cost uh, you know America you know everything. But. Uh, <laughs> So I can understand, like, you know, because he was a big countercultural guy, but it still seems like two different weights that they're sort of punching at, you know? Now, there was actually an earlier Coneheads film. It was an animated short. I think it was produced as a sort of pilot that didn't really go anywhere. And it was done by the Rankin Bass Company, the same company that did all those Christmas specials. And the Hobbit movie. And the Hobbit movie. Oh, yeah, that weird animation where they didn't they draw over, the, like they filmed. The actual... That was the uh, the Lord of the Rings. Oh, the Lord of the Rings. Okay, that was that was the Bakshi one. Yeah, but they did like a weird Hobbit cartoon. Sorry, okay. go on. Yeah. And I watched some of that, and it's uh, exactly the same as the movie. It's the same thing. They basically took the plot from this cartoon, and I'm not going to say filled it out because they did it. They just sort of made it the movie, and that's what it is. So it it does kind of seem like they were like, we're going to make, you know, Wayne's World was a hit. We're going to go for it. We're going to put this, you know, big multi-million dollar movie about Coneheads. Like, what do we do? It's like, well, we have this <laughs> 15-year-old failed television special. Uh, just just use the, the script from that. That's fine. Oh, God. Yeah. How, how was that, how was that uh, received? Terribly? I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> we'll just use that story. Yeah. It wasn't super interesting. I can see why it didn't go to a series. The movie itself, I mean, they had all this marketing, all this publicity. Like we said, there's a subway commercial, an action figure. There's the soundtrack, which is really just meant to promote the movie. But it only grossed about $21,274,717 Earth dollars domestically. Approximately, So. Not a very successful movie. It opened in sixth place, I read. Yeah, that's not very good. They don't give medal for sixth place. They they had a whole day at the theme park where you were encouraged to dress up like a conehead, and they opened in sixth place. Like that's it's crazy to me Ouch. how they they were just. I mean, trying that marketing so budget hard. must have been more than they made on the film. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. It definitely didn't reach expectations. So I wondered why this movie has had this sort of half-life that it has. And, like, there were even, like we talked about before, yeah, there was a few articles. There was one by Vulture that reevaluated in 2011. There was a Vice article in 2017 that reevaluated it. But there must have been some sort of lingering desire for the Coneheads in the market because there was also a series of State Farm ads in 2015 featuring the Coneheads. What? Yeah. Like, there was, I don't know if you guys remember this, there was a commercial a long time ago called Jake from State Farm, and it's a commercial where this guy is talking sort of dirty on the phone, and then his wife comes down, and she's like, who are you talking to? And he's like, Jake from State Farm. And, you know, he's getting a really great insurance rate. They remade that 
commercial. State Farm parodied their own commercial with the Coneheads. <laughs> in 2015. In 2015. Correct, I have a life mate. Is that consequential? With whom are you communicating? Jake from Planet State Farm. Jake from Planet State Farm at 0300 hours. State your identity. It is Jake from Planet State Farm, home of Discount Double Check. Describe your apparel, Jake from Planet State Farm. Uh, khakis? Khakis. Explain. A dull earthly garment covering male extremities. Sounds most appropriate. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. It's weird. But that's just the cesspool that is marketing. And there was also further commercials after that. They did a whole series of State Farm commercials, which presumably influenced a whole lot of people to buy insurance. Oh, my God. I just remembered there was a comic book series. There was a Marvel comic series. Yeah. Uh, what? Weird. It's, they, Did you read they it? Wanted... No. <laughs> but I remember seeing it in like the convenience store. But, yeah, Coneheads, Blaine, I know that you weren't a huge Conehead head, but hopefully seeing this movie has, you know, allowed you to check your head. What did you think about it? (laughs) (laughs) I really disliked watching it, and I hate you guys for making me do that. Okay. No, there was some there was some fun parts to it. I guess it was it was kind of fun seeing <laughs> them waste all the talent that they had accumulated uh, for this movie. I loved seeing Chris Farley, Phil Hartman. We didn't talk about John Lovitz as the dentist. Right, he was yeah. very funny. Good he, dentist. He was, he was pretty funny. He didn't have any great lines, but he was he was he was pretty funny delivering. He's just always great as John Lovitz. Yeah. that's the ticket. Yeah, exactly. So. It's it's definitely a I feel like a time capsule of a movie where you can kind of go back and see oh yeah this is like SNL's greatest hits yeah, trying to do just one sketch for two hours called Coneheads I didn't much like it I was never uh, a fan of the Conehead sketches when they were out it was too it was before my time and the movie apparently was right on my time but I was living <laughs> under a rock so I didn't see any of the probably over 20 million that they spent on the marketing campaign uh so i i I didn't see it i didn't really enjoy watching it too much but chris farley great great performance and i will say as much as i dislike uh uh old old Aykroyd, he he did there were some funny things in this movie so he gives a committed performance you have to give him that he gives a comedic performance it's and he loves aliens he loves aliens (laughs) he loves them more than he loves his crystal skull vodka oh man if you if you find an alien head he'll pour vodka right into it um (laughs) wait wasn't there don't the aliens have cone heads didn't they find like some alien skulls with like cone heads and that's yeah i think so i think that was the fourth indiana jones movie that no one talks about (laughs) right that's (laughs) the crystal skull Oh, oh, it man. also seems we are doing this this podcast from our homes, as we said, and JM returned to his home planet. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, this mm-hmm. spaceship came along and, and beamed him out, and we're no longer Bye, we're no longer in touch with him. Uh, but uh, Rob, do you want to take us away? Tell us how you found rewatching this as someone who had seen this before, and uh, and, and take us away. Yeah, I mean, I didn't love the Coneheads this time around. I think that I went in with pretty low expectations, but there were some moments that I did like. I thought that the story, INS story aside, I like that it followed the template of an immigrant story. That's nice. It's a good story to tell. I like that it was a funny sort of look at suburban America, you know, through the lens of these weird cone-headed alien creatures. I also love the moment... Where Charles Napier, it's at the light show. He gets his whole face blown away. That old actor. I just <laughs> yeah, love yeah, that yeah. that old gruff guy was willing to participate in that joke, with that bit. That that whole scene, that whole bit was well directed, too. I, I, I liked that a lot. Um, with a small little firecracker that goes up and then he puts on the sunglasses <laughs> as everyone's making fun of him. It's great. But I don't think that I have to see this movie again. I don't think that no. it has... Much to offer upon a second watch. So I'm going to say it's uh, not rewatchable. It has some funny moments. 
the SNL template is strong at this point, but it just doesn't feel necessary to inflict on anybody. Oh, God. And when you put it up against... Yeah, and when you put it up against Wayne's World, which was one of the funniest comedies ever made... It, yeah, it absolutely. Just, it, it's helpless. It's helpless against that movie. So, Coneheads? Mm-hmm. I don't know. A little sunk for me. Is that a joke? <laughs> I mean, if we put our heads together, we can come up with something. Um, and I think, and I think JM would probably say it was not rewatchable as well. From what I can infer, I think he loved it. From this, uh, I'll speak for him now. He's and there are a few <laughs> other movies I'd like to speak for JM saying that he loved. Short Circuit Two. No. <laughs> Well, that's rewatchability for the week. Thanks for joining us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify. You can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, and that really helps us. Or rate us. It's out of five stars. I believe that five is the traditional number. You can also follow us on Facebook or communicate with us on Twitter. Or you can email us if there's a movie that you would like us to cover. And we're at rewatchability at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website, rewatchability.com, and Click on the SpeakPipe app and leave us a little message, and we might play it on the show. Until next week, Blagglezorp, Flagglezorp. That, that was a better joke than half of Conan's. <laughs> right there.